Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Hey, what's up? Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us all week long. Uh, it's good to be with you as we wrap up the work week. And we started the day uh, this morning at 9 o'clock with uh, Governor Tate Reeves' press conference in which he announced that there will be a one-week extension of the stay-at-home order but it sounds like as long as the numbers for COVID-19 and flu continue to go down, as they are expected to do over the uh, course of the next couple of weeks, then the stay-at-home order will come to an end on April the 27th. So that's one week later uh, than the initial stay-at-home um, order was for. It was originally scheduled to end at 8 o'clock Monday morning. On April 20th, that was a uh, you know kind of a target date, and a, a we hope that things can move forward. Uh, Governor Reeves said that uh, when the president outlined yesterday the uh, the criteria for beginning to reopen your state, uh, there were some uh, targets that we had just not quite gotten to yet as a state, but the anticipation is that those will be reached uh, very soon, and uh, we will begin the process of reopening things economically, small businesses, social distancing, all of those things uh, a week from Monday. So, not bad news. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You can be part of the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day, from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Fellas, what's up? Borky, how are you today? Exhausted. So Why? one of the dogs at about 345 decided to projectile vomit. And uh, guess Ooh. what happened after that? You get to clean it oh. up. Well, that and I love to start the show with projectile vomit. The, Please, the continue. noise woke up the, the little one, and the little one would not go back to sleep. So I'm running on fumes today. I hear you. Did you try and put him in the bed with you? We're trying our hardest to avoid doing that because we. And it's just reading baby books and stuff. But we are told that once you start that habit, it's really hard to break that habit. That's probably a true story. I've got a three-year-old that spends a portion of most nights somewhere between 1 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. in the bed for us for a little while. But, you know, whatever. I know that goes against all those parenting books, what, baby-wise and whatever else is out there, but I figure this won't last forever. It's not the worst thing in the world. That's all the parenting advice I've got for you out of the <laughs> gate. That's fine. We're doing the... Uh... Uh, we've been lazy with this, but we're doing the first full night in the crib experiment tonight. So he's still been in the bassinet. We have a big bassinet, I guess, because they're supposed to not fit anymore. But he's big, and he still fits, so we haven't done that transition. Uh, he sleep takes naps in the crib, so at least he's used to it. But tonight will be the first night 
of that. So another sleepless night for me is upcoming. Yeah, it's okay. It's not crazy, though. I mean, hey, Dad sleep, still sleeps in a bassinet. It's the size of a, of a, of a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> hey, Dad, what's up, my, man? My mobile is just like pieces of meat going around up, up top. <laughs> You'll never go to sleep if that's the case. No, no, no. You know, the, the, the rack of lamb spinning around gets me every time. There you go. Hey, Rippy, did you play golf again today? No, uh, but maybe tomorrow. Windy conditions today. Tom- really? It felt great. It's supposed to be windy tomorrow, also. I uh, didn't check the wind, just looking at temperatures and whether there's rain or no rain. So you think you're going to be good for a little while? I think. I, th- I mean, weather doesn't look great Sunday, but tomorrow looks okay. I think. Last time I checked. There you go. What kind of a golfer are you? You don't check the wind forecast. You got to figure out whether you're playing in West Texas or in uh, North Mississippi. Probably not going to change the outcome uh, all that much. Just going to adapt on the fly. You can hit that wind cheater. Go to the stinger whenever you need it. Uh, yeah. So it's, that's called thinning it, Richard. <laughs> yeah, unless you know what you're doing. More I or suppose. less. I, uh, I suppose. Uh, Borky, poll question right out of the gate. What have we got? Yeah, in honor of the guest coming up here in about nine minutes, uh, what do you put on the grill this weekend? Ooh, what's going on the grill this weekend? You can uh, hit us up on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S, or you can uh, text us on the C Spire text line. Gave you that number already, 601-879-4395. What's going on the grill this weekend? Hey, Dad, have you had a change of heart? You, you were all into braising something so nah. that you could have gravy yesterday. I got the recipe. I'm going to braise this week. I'm, I'm grilling next weekend. There you go. Look at you planning ahead. Yeah. Full weekend event. We've gone. You got. From, you got to know what you want to do. So you, you, when you're planning these grocery store trips, so you're in and out, so you can get out of that petri dish as quickly as you possibly can. There you go. Are you wearing a mask and gloves when you go to the grocery store? No. I just don't breathe the whole time I'm in there. It's like a deep breath before I go in and just plow through. Rippy, have you worn a mask at all? No, but I haven't like He's, taken. I've gone once every two weeks for the last like every time. Basically on payday, I go get groceries, stock up, and then I'm pretty much good. So like, I hadn't been going very often, and so no, no mask. I mean, I probably should, but I'm staying six feet away. I'm not like being that guy like getting up on people and you know calling this a hoax or whatever. Some people in the grocery store still do, but no, I haven't done a mask yet. Yesterday uh, at the grocery store. Some old guy was just walking around handing out tracks, and I was just like, I appreciate the message, but uh, maybe this isn't the best time for that. Handing out tracks? Tracks. Like he has a rap album? No, no, no. not, <laughs> not Tracks with a oh, T wait, on the end Oh, wait, you're talking about like the, like the Bible class pamphlet yeah. deals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just handing Steps them to people. To salvation like, and whatnot. And I said to him, I was like, you know, I, I don't have anything against this, you know, the guy's message, but uh, this is really the best time. And they're, Oh, he's in here all the time. I was like, that, that's, that's sort of my point. Maybe maybe now is not the time to be with the hand-to-hand stuff. Am I the only masked guy out of the four? That's not good. You're also the ugliest. No, I'm just kidding. Except I'm not. So you've been doing the mask, Borky? Yeah, it's really been uh, a headband of my wife's that she doesn't like, but I I ordered a a set of masks on mine today. (laughs) You have a baby, too, Borky. I mean, you need to be a little more careful, I, I would say. I mean, my kids are hale and hearty. Same. (laughs) 
<laughs> Borky, what? Did, I mean, are these like just industrial masks, or did you get something that is uh, a little more fashion forward? No, you're going to make fun of me at first, but uh, let yep, me get yep, through it before you start. Am, but, um, but I am interested in your answer. The um, <laughs> the NBA and Fanatics uh, announced a partnership with uh, a national food bank, and oh, okay. they are the first league to. Uh, have branded face masks that you can buy online, the NBA store, and every dollar that they gain from that will go straight to these food banks. So, yes, I got some New Orleans basketball face masks, but because it is going to a good cause, I couldn't say no. There you go. Got no problem with uh, with that. Does it say Zion on it? No, there. it's just generic. Like, one has the uh, their font that says New Orleans Pelicans, and one has, like, their logo really small all over it, and then one is just, like, a big blown-up uh, logo across the entire thing. Be honest, you're waiting for one that matches that T-shirt you've got that's just got Drew Brees all over it. <laughs> Man, I don't think that company's operational anymore. I tried to get like see if they had a Camaro one or something, and like they hadn't updated their website in a while, so maybe they're <laughs> out of the, the T-shirt game. I got more compliments about that shirt than anything else I've ever done in my life combined, just when I wore it to that one game. I don't know if that says something about you or says something about the people that were giving you compliments, but whatever well, works what, for what you. What kind of people you think could go into New Orleans Saints games, right? They're a little out there, so. Fair enough. All right, so here are some of the answers for what's going on the grill this weekend. We've got a brisket in Kasuth, a 20-pound uh, brisket that is going on the uh, smoker, so early leads for barbecue this weekend. Here's a Boston butt for barbecue nachos. Looks like that's coming from somewhere in the Pine Belt. Uh, ribeye steak with sweet brown sugar rub and asparagus on the grill. Twice baked potatoes to go along with those. That's from Walker in Ooh. Oxford. So These all uh, sound good. That sounds pretty darn good. We made the mistake of uh, giving pureed asparagus to the little guy. Um, if you think your asparagus... You know, is a bad smell. Wait till it comes out of a baby. We're never doing that again. Threw the rest of it out. <laughs> Jeez. It Mike was in terrible. Oxford says no grilling this weekend, but he's had lamb shanks in the crock pot since nine o'clock this morning. So uh, that sounds uh, pretty good. We got a deer tenderloin going on the grill. Um, we do homemade pizzas on a pretty regular basis. Last night went with uh, the pizza on the green egg. That turned out fantastic. So we had uh, a yeah. crust from uh, a local bakery from uh, Bottle Tree. So we had the pizza crust from there. And then Jane browned the sausage and the, the skillet and put all the toppings on it, cheese on top, and it went on the uh, the cooking sheet, set that on top of the place setter in the green egg, about 15 minutes or so. It was fantastic. Uh, I am open to doing that again. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just getting started. Malcolm Reed will join us when we come back. We'll talk more grilling. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We are borrowing a guest from our good friend JT, although I don't know that he's got ownership rights over Malcolm Reed. The website is howtobbqright.com. Malcolm Reed on your radio right now. Malcolm, appreciate you spending a few minutes of uh, your time with us this afternoon. How are you? 
I'm doing great, man. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to uh, glad to visit with you, and hope JT won't uh, won't get too mad at us in the uh, in the meantime. You know, this is a time where a lot of people are home uh, a whole lot more than maybe normally they would be. Not traveling on the weekends, around the house more, and so I think a lot of people have found themselves spending more time around the grill, which I would think you would sign off as being a good thing, right? Well, I know I have. <laughs> this is a busy time for us, you know, being in the barbecue world, doing competitions. We're usually traveling every weekend, but everything's been canceled, and we've been at home quarantined. So I've spent most of my days out on the grill cooking something. I think my wife likes that. <laughs> but I yeah, think most yeah. people are, too. You know, I think my wife has been a fan of the fact that I've actually participated in the uh, the dinner making process on a on a fairly regular basis as of late. Um, so I don't know if she wants that part to uh, go away or kind of stay in place. Um, I know you're a barbecue guy first, so we'll get to that in just a second. But but let's just kind of go back to grilling basics and uh, folks that are kind of doing normal stuff on the uh, on the grill. Uh, where do you start? I mean, if you're passing along a recipe, passing along a couple of ideas for folks kind of going into the weekend, maybe they haven't made the grocery store run or haven't gone to uh, their local uh, you know, smaller you know, outfit that, that has good meats, uh, where would you recommend starting going into a weekend? Well, you know, it's it's been challenging here lately because a lot of the stores are out of a lot of the common stuff that people are, are, are cooking, so people are getting outside of the box, but... But most everybody has some sort of grill at home, and you can do a lot uh, with a basic grill. You know, uh, I, the first thing you got to do is learn how to build the proper fire. Now, whether you're direct grilling, like you're cooking burgers or steaks or hot dogs or sausages, that's where the fire is right below the meat. Or when you're setting your grill up for an indirect cooking, it's where you scoot the coals over to one side and you create this cool zone, and that's what allows you to do some slower cooking, and you can do stuff like ribs and pork butt or, or beef, something like that. So... There's really a lot you can do with a small grill. Um, I think most people probably need to start learning the basics, how to cook a good burger, how to do pork chops, how to, how to cook a steak. All that's, that's good uh, beginning stuff that won't break the bank. You won't spend you know a lot of money on a big cut of meat. So generally speaking, do you prefer cooking with indirect heat, or do you like cooking directly over the coals? Well, I like both. <laughs> okay. I think you get, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's a place for both of them. Uh, what the, my general rule is, the thinner the meat, the better it does over hot coals direct because you're looking at a fast cook. Uh, the bigger the piece of meat, the longer it needs to be on the grill, so you have to be able to control those temperatures, dial it back a little bit, and that's where that cool zone or that low and slow cooking comes in. So really it just depends on what you're cooking. Um, if I had to pick a choice, I mean, it's hard to beat a good ribeye steak on the grill cooked hot and fast. So... I don't know if, if a green egg is what you use or if there's a different brand that, that you uh, endorse, but the Komodo-style grill, I mean, you, you're talking about a you know lump charcoal down there. Is there any way to do indirect heat on that style grill other than by kind of using the place setter that, that kind of blocks the heat and, and causes it to have to come around? Is that the best way to go on those or the only way well, to go on those? It's not the only way that plate setter does help. I do have a big green egg that I, that I cook a lot on, and it's really good for dialing in those lower temps. But what you have to do, or what I've found easier, is to build my lump coals over to one side of the egg. 
And you get a long burn out of a fire on an egg because of the, the ceramics of it. It's designed to hold heat. Uh, you can really dial, you know, close the vents off to where not a whole lot of air is moving through. So that tones the fire down, and it lets you run in those lower temps, like around 250 degrees, with all the coals to one side. With the plates that are on, it's the perfect setup for indirect cooking. Let's talk about marinating just for a second. And then after this, I think Hey Dad wants to uh, jump in with some questions that he's got as well. But for basic burgers, if you're doing small fillets, if you're doing a ribeye, what do you recommend? Or maybe even if we're doing chickens, and I know we're talking about kind of some different meat categories, but, but what's the best way in terms of preparation? How long in advance do you need to be marinating or seasoning meat before it goes on the grill? In, the marinade comes down to the thickness of the meat, too. Um, you're really only going to get an inch or so penetration with the marinade. So then um, you need about, you know, usually an hour minimum on most stuff. Uh, you know, things like pork chops or chicken breast, they can go for three to four hours. But um, it really, if, if you want to marinate something, it needs to be on the thinner side. So you take a, a steak that's an inch thick, it's ideal for marinating. But if you get up into those big two and a half inch tomahawk ribeyes, they don't take a marinade as well. So it really depends on the thickness uh, of your meat. Um, I like to use a, a lot of times just a basic marinade, some Worcestershire sauce, some soy sauce, maybe a little seasonings in there. You know, you need a little oil. You could use olive oil or canola oil or vegetable oil even. Um, there's a great one down in central Mississippi now. I know everybody's probably heard of that Hoover sauce. That's, that's a famous marinade down there that everybody uses. Hey, Malcolm, it's Brian Haydad. You know, obviously a lot of people know you from your YouTube channel and all the great videos you put out there. A buddy of mine is actually doing one of your recipes this weekend, the pork belly uh, burnt ends. He wanted to know, beyond what's on that video, are there any other tips you want to give him for this cook? Man, to, to wear some elastic pants when you get to eating them. <laughs> those, those, those things are so good and they're addictive, but, man, they're rich and they, and they will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put it to you. Um, you can't hardly mess up pork belly. I mean, it's just about rendering the fat in it. And it's the lean meat is encapsulated with all this delicious fat, which gives it flavor. So when you season it and you cook it down low and slow and you put a glaze on it on the end, it's just little nuggets of melty goodness that just melts in your mouth. And, man, it's so good. For you, you know, if I said, hey, I'm buying, I'll get whatever you want me to pick up at the store, what kind of meat are we going to put on the grill? Man, we're probably... We're probably going to go back to a good steak. That's the one thing that I go back to. And I, you know, I'm not super picky either. I like a good marbled up ribeye. Uh, but you know, if, if you was to put a fillet out there, I'd go with it too. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I'm not real picky on my grades. If it's choice and it's got plenty of marble, and I'm good with that. But I'll eat prime or even the wagyu stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there aren't many people that are just going to turn away the wagyu if you uh, if you suggest <laughs> that. Um, Malcolm, we've got uh, we got Mike in Oxford on the C Spire text line, and he says Malcolm is a good friend of mine. Ask him about the mothership. Oh man, that 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 was my old '93 Ford T Bird I had when I was uh, down at Ole Miss, and man, that thing had autopilot on it. It got us in and out of a bunch of situations. i'm sure it did hey we've got two minutes left i know you can't probably adequately do this but let's say that somebody wants to be a little more adventuresome and they want to go the route of cooking a whole hog how do we start that process well first you got to get your grill big enough that you can manage the fire on so you know that's the biggest part of doing a hog 
And um, once you source your hog, you want to trim it up, just trim off any of the excess fat or sinew, expose some of the flesh on it. And then you want to get your, uh, I usually use a little bit of mustard, put my dry seasoning on top of that mustard. The mustard helps it stick to the meat. On the skin side, you want to leave the skin on the hog. We usually wipe it down, clean it up, and get it dry so that it, so that it'll kind of form its own like tight. Um, it's almost like a, a nice barrier, a bowl, because we cook it skin side down. It holds all that juice in there, um, and so we get it on the pit. And man, I just use hickory wood. You can throw a little uh, cherry or apple or something like that if you want to supplement a little fruit wood with it, but mainly hickory for the flavor. And it's about time. Uh, the hogs, you want to cook the shoulders till they're at least 190 internal. You want to cook the hams till they're at least about 185, something like that. And so it takes a long time, and usually uh, it involves rotating the hog a little bit. We smoke it for about six hours, and then we cover it up with aluminum foil. That helps tenderize it. And then at the very end, we take the foil off and put a little barbecue glaze on it. Uh, you can just about uh, – a 150-pound hog is the best size for smoking. Uh, and it takes about 16 hours to cook one properly, and that's running a pit about 250 degrees the whole time. So the first six to eight hours uncovered, wrap it up, finish it off, and then you're ready for a hog picking. And that needs to happen on a grill. It's not one of these pits where you dig it out in the ground and build the coals out that way? Well, you can do that now. I've been a part of several of those. You know, you use the cinder block pits and you get your burn barrel and burn your coals down and you shovel the wood <laughs> underneath the hog all night. But you, I tell you, the best way to do that is to get you a bunch of buddies and a couple coolers full of beer and take turns. <laughs> Somebody's got to stay up all night with it that way. That turns into a uh, into a party. Malcolm's website is How to BBQ Right. You've got great recipes on there, recipes that you can use for specific grills or smokers that you've got. It is a fantastic resource. Hey, Dad mentioned the YouTube channel as well. Malcolm, a lot of fun visiting with you. I hope we can uh, can do this again soon. Hey, thanks, guys. And any man, anytime y'all have any questions or anything about barbecue, I'm the man. Just holler at me. <laughs> We'll do it. That's Malcolm Reed on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Malcolm Reed, that was fun, uh, and joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. If you're in South Mississippi or East Central Mississippi where there was uh, storm damage, there's a really good chance that uh, you have seen uh, the folks from Farm Bureau out in full force, either uh, surveying the damage or perhaps uh, writing checks and delivering those for folks that are immediately uh, trying to get back to rebuilding and uh, repairing uh, their lives, at least from a, a physical standpoint. Or maybe you've seen... Uh, the local Farm Bureau office in uh, in your area out feeding people. Hey, Dad, uh, they got those big Mississippi Farm Bureau grills that most of or many of the uh, the local offices have in each of the counties, and they are not afraid to uh, get out and get those going for a uh, for a good eating. Well, I'm down for that. <laughs> just 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 tell, give me the drop a pin, send me a text, drop me a pin, I'll be there. There you go. I'll even help clean uh, up some stuff around the state. I'd be happy to help if I know, right, even if I didn't know there was stuff on the other end of that. But anytime there's barbecue on the other end, I'll be for, I'll be sure to show up. 
There you go. There you go. It's uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with uh, you this afternoon. Uh, we're glad to have you along. Malcolm Reed, fun conversation. And uh, what did you say? You said your buddy was doing pork belly burnt ends. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I wish I lived uh, you know, next door to him. Yeah. I don't, though. <laughs> and Malcolm's suggestion was to wear elastic-waisted pants. There you go. Well, he, he's he's built a little bit like me, so I'm I'm sure he has some. There you go. Um, interesting news from the NCAA today. What what do you guys think of this? The NCAA has decided that every high school senior, every high school senior, will be eligible for competition this fall, regardless of their pre-coronavirus pandemic test scores, if. They finish high school with a 2.3 GPA in 10 core courses. So it's a 2.3 GPA in the 10 NCAA-approved core courses, and seven of those 10 courses have to be English, math, and uh, science courses prior to the start of their senior year. Uh, if you're looking to go the Division II route as opposed to the Division I route, it's a 2.2 GPA with those 10 NCAA-approved courses. So so many times when we're talking about eligibility, we talk about kids that you know they need to get another point or another couple of points or three more points on their ACT or whatever the equivalent it is uh, for SAT in order to be eligible. Different deal this year. Uh, simplifying and streamlining, uh, streamlining the process, I slash we, but especially I, have been plenty critical of the NCAA, and and with good reason for a lot of times, but it feels like they've made some decisions that are in the best interest of student-athletes in recent weeks. Would you guys agree with that? Do you think they got a hand-raised guy finally? They finally put one on staff? Maybe so. feels that way, because, yeah, this is something, again... I mean, this makes a lot of sense. You know, guys can't get out and take the ACT you know, for the you know those guys who needed it or girls for the same matter. You know, who needed it at this point. So, yeah, I mean, just just go with this and and go forward. It's a one time deal. The changes will not apply to high school students who are graduating after the spring or summer of 2020. So the previous testing requirements, score requirements, are all going to go back into place after this year. But given the unique circumstances that we've got right now and know how, knowing how many high school students have you know they're they're trying to get those extra couple of points in the testing times that are still available uh, those times have become limited and we don't know what that's exactly going to look like Rippy you on board with this Yeah I don't really don't have a overly strong opinion about this it seems pretty straightforward it seems like a good idea and the right thing to do uh, good Borky. job in CAA there you go. I wonder what this means moving forward because you've had a lot of, I say a lot, there have been some colleges that are outright um, not asking for those standardized tests anymore. I mean, there are high-level academic people that think they actually don't um, test whether or not a kid can be successful in college and then in life, that it's more strategy-based. And Anyway, so you've got that element there. Anytime the NCAA has done something like this in the midst of coronavirus, I wonder what permanent change will come from this. Same like with the transfer rules. What permanent change is going to come from that? 
new signing periods? What permanent change is going to come from that? Same here. Do you think that this is a one-off, or maybe down the road this will mean that it will be easier to get eligible for student-athletes moving forward? Because, it, it, not to get political, listen to Gallo on Monday at 6, but th- this has kind of exposed the the lack of resources some some of these students, these seniors, high school kids that are getting recruited to go to college a lot of what this has done is exposed that there are so little resources for some of these kids around the country to actually like learn and get grades and have an education. So will this open a window for them to get the chance to go to college because they weren't given the best opportunities to get good grades and get good test scores before? I do wonder, with the classes that are coming in right now, how many players you know were planning to go to junior college and now they if they, they'll be able to head to uh, to the, the the school they actually signed with. Well, you know this will obviously hurt some of the JUCOs. I know in the state last year, a player like Alex Adams, the receiver from South Pike, who signed with LSU, there was a lot of talk back and forth that you know he had some work to do academically, and now you know he might be able to head to LSU. I think he was headed to uh, I don't know if it was Gulf Coast or, or Colin or wherever. But how are how are coaches are going to have to may rearrange things in their signing classes? Are there players who may end up losing a, a scholarship here because now all of a sudden hey we had a better player that we were going to sign in place, but now we can bring him in? You know, how's that going to work out? That's an interesting question. And does that change the dynamics or the numbers for these classes? I mean, is there a trickle down effect that is positive for smaller schools? Is that possible? I would think so, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're signing if you're signing number twenty five for Alabama and their signing number two was a guy and I don't know that for for a fact, but their signing number two was a guy they were gonna sign in place. Now he can go to Alabama, but they, they don't they don't have enough room for you. Well that you, you could end up somewhere, you know, at Troy or ULL or something like that. So I don't know. Rippy Am I crazy, or was there... It feels like there was a receiver, maybe one that was out of Florida, that was either committed to Ole Miss or leaning toward Ole Miss or maybe even signed with Ole Miss, but the the thought was they were going to have to wait a while and figure out if he was able to qualify academically based on needing more you know, a, a handful of points or a couple of more points in, in terms of test scores? Uh, what year? No, I mean, it was for for this year's class. Oh, um, I don't and, and remember I don't, I don't that, blame that you if you don't does. remember a specific name, but it, I just feel like that story I remember being out there. Yeah, I sure. I, I don't remember that happening, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. didn't happen. Yeah. Did that ring a bell at all for you, Borky? It does, but man, I, I, you know, I could simply use a device and pull up their recruiting class and <laughs> and find one. Uh, but yeah, that does ring a bell, and that's going to happen to a lot of people. And I guess it'll also uh, eliminate the uh, get the kid eligible market, the under the table stuff. I I don't know what it is that you speak of. <laughs> Wait. Well, I mean, if it's You're a joking, one-off, right? will it really? Yeah, but at least for this year. Yeah. I mean, this feels like it's it's a step in the right direction. Um, I, I don't know, Borky. I, I feel like maybe we danced around your question, but but 
the, you think the bigger question is, does this begin to change things going forward? You know, does, does this signal a shift in the way the NCAA looks at eligibility? I, I don't read that, and, and I don't really make that jump based on doing this in unique circumstances in a one-time situation. Yeah, I, I think like the one-time penalty th- free transfer thing is going to stick. So that's why I asked the question here is that's going to lead change that's permanent. Because of what happened with coronavirus, we're going to get permanent change. Does that potentially happen here? Or could that happen here? I guess everything's on the table. I mean, there's part of me that thinks, wow, it's a whole new world. And then there's part of me that thinks that all of the measures that are being put in place right now are stopgaps. Right? It's get us through the unique circumstances of spring of 2020 rolling into the start of the academic slash athletic year 2020-2021. We know that it's going to be weird for a year and a half, and then things are going to go back to normal. I, I would agree with you on the point, though, that at the very least, it gives you the opportunity to begin to have conversations and say, look, we did this in an emergency situation, but this worked really well. This makes a lot of sense. Let's look at it going forward. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalked.fm. Ryan Brown from WJOX Jocks in Birmingham is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line about 10 minutes from right now to start the 4 o'clock hour. We are glad to be with you this afternoon. Michael Borky has got um, some on this days that he uh, he put in the rundown for the show yesterday we didn't get to. He put them there again today. He said, these are too good. I don't care that they were for yesterday. We should get to them. So we'll work them in throughout the, uh, the course of the show. So all of these, Borky, happened yesterday? All of these happened yesterday, yeah. Uh, let's go baseball first. 1940, Cleveland's Bob Feller threw a no-hitter against the White Sox on opening day. It is the only time, only time in the history of Major League Baseball that there has been a no-no thrown on opening day. Am I crazy for thinking that it will be the only time ever that a no-hitter is thrown on the opening day, given the way starting pitchers are handled now, and especially the way that starting pitchers are handled in the early part of the season? Well, now that the Astros don't have trash can signals, their chances of getting no-hit went exponentially up. (laughs) Aside from that, though, that's a really good question. You you may have a no-hitter, but it won't be a complete game no-hitter. Well, then, it's not really a no-hitter, is it? I mean, technically, so, no hits by one team against another team. But when we talk about a no hitter, we're talking about a single pitcher throwing go a back nine to the Ole Miss no baseball Twitter account because that no hitter that they threw that's that's no good according to Richard Cross, who said that. You know, I'm talking about something different than that. <laughs> Bob Feller threw the only complete game no hitter single pitcher deal on opening day in Major League Baseball history. Hey, jerk! Is it going to ever happen again? <laughs> no. 
Probably not. On opening day? On opening day. Seems unlikely. I mean, the odds are against it for two reasons. One, it's a very limited sample size. Or not sample size. There are a very limited number of opportunities. And two, again, I just, you know, seeing a team stretch a pitcher out to, uh, unless it's one of those Greg Maddox-like performances where he doesn't ever break 85 anyway, it's all about painting the corners and he gets a bunch of ground ball outs and has like a 90-pitch no-hitter. It's hard for me to see a team stretching a opening day stud. I mean, you're, generally speaking, with with a rare exception, you're talking about the ace of your staff, which means the guy that you think is the best pitcher on your staff going out and needing 125 pitches on opening day to get a no hitter. I mean, maybe if the Mets have got somebody that's there, they'll just go ahead and run his arm into the ground. We've seen that before. Johan Santana. Anyway. No other thoughts on that. That's fair. Uh, Also, yesterday, in the year 2000, Bill Belichick turned 48 years old. And he drafted Tom Brady in the sixth round. Pick number 199. That's a good birthday. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the gift he, he didn't that realize kept the on giving the whole couple of day. decades long. Yeah. The party lasted for 20 years. That's pretty yes. good. I mean, that's almost better than the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> I don't know, Richard. Is there even a candidate for biggest draft steal of all time next to Tom Brady. Is there even no. like a close second? No. no. I mean, they, not with that. Oh, go ahead, hey, Dad. I was just saying. No, I mean, that I'm, we're, we're agreeing. Yeah, yeah, we're agreeing, Rippy. It's, it's no. But I mean, and, I mean, there's plenty of hindsight ones. Like I know Mahomes. Like, I mean, Mitch Trubisky got drafted over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but Mahomes is still a first round pick. This is the guy who was picking the sixth round. He won six. He's won at least six Super Bowls. Antonio Brown was a sixth-round pick. Head case aside, that's a super talent at that level of the draft. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, of great of great late-round picks, to be sure, but none are going to ma- match this resume. I'd like to see some baseball ones. There's like there a 30th-round pick that I'm not thinking of that ended up winning multiple Cy Youngs or something. I don't know. When was Maddox picked? I don't know. Uh, this was Marcus Colston with the Saints. I don't know where he was picked. Seventh round. Really? That's a good one. All-time leading receiver in Saints history? Isn't that right? I believe that's correct. I think that's accurate. So, um, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Ryan Brown will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line in just a couple of minutes from Jocks in Birmingham. Watching the sun bake. Friday afternoon with you rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ryan Brown from WJOXFM in Birmingham right now. Brownie, what's up, man? I'm pretty good, Richard. How are you guys doing? 
We are hanging in there. I, I do have one burning question for you right out of the gate, if you don't mind. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What, what, when's the college football season going to start? Um, I've been really optimistic about this all the way through. Now, I should say my optimism is based on, like any information I have, my optimism is based on I'm an optimistic guy in general. Like most any situation, I try to assume that the best is going to happen. Doesn't always happen, obviously. Everybody knows that. So I'm going to say um, that late August game, I can't remember the exact date, uh, maybe Notre Dame. Now, I believe it will be played here in the States. I don't think they'll play it in Ireland, but um, I-, I think that'll be the first game. I'm-, I'm still optimistic that's the first game. What does it look like? Who's there? I don't know, but I think that'll be the first game. So that what is August 29th, I think it is, is the uh, yeah. the date that that's got, 29th or 30th, something like that. And then you think something when like we roll happens. into that first full Saturday, September 5th, everybody's playing college football. That, that's, that's my belief. Now, <laughs> there are a lot of things that could happen between now and then, and we've never envisioned what's happened over the last month and a half, obviously. So who knows? But um, I just I believe this thing will get under control and the warm weather will, will help and I'm hopeful, and and part of my belief is that they'll, you know, everybody talks about a vaccine, which isn't going to happen before football season. I don't think anybody even thinks that's possible. I've always said if you had a uh, an effective treatment, and there's been some breakthroughs on that, I think the last couple of days. But if you had an effective treatment that um, worked in 99.999999 percent of all the cases and drove the death rate down very, very, very low, I think you could. Perhaps, and again, now, listen, I'm no scientist, I'm no doctor, I'm I'm no government voice, I'm just an idiot in Birmingham sharing what my hopes are. I would hope if you had an effective treatment that worked in almost every single case um, and prevented many, many deaths, that you could get back to some sort of semblance of normal life before we got a vaccine. And that's just part of my hope. So I'm hoping all those things fall in line. Yeah, the thing that that feels to me like a little bit of a roadblock and I'm I've been optimistic on this thing also so I'm not trying to be a pessimist or be a devil's advocate just for the sake of doing so here the idea that everybody in college football is going to start playing that weekend it just feels like with the mess that they've had in the northeast and the mess that is the state of California just kind of on an ongoing basis I don't know if we're going to get a hundred percent buy-in and you may not, and and that will be unfortunate. You know, the NFL is a different animal. You could you could deal with that Absolutely. in the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, um, now if you wanted to, if you wanted to jump over to that side, I am way more confident the NFL is going to play. There is too much money at stake for them not to. Uh, there's too much money at stake for college football as well. Um, you know, our your coworker at the SEC Network, my buddy here in Birmingham, Greg McElroy, said it well, and I know it's kind of making the rounds on a lot of the national, you know, ESPN stuff. Um, they'll play college football come hell or high water. They'll figure it out because the the other side of that is shutting down athletic programs. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. So without college football, you do that. And even though the NCAA doesn't make very much money off college football, they make way more off basketball, they understand, they're smart enough to understand that a lot of those basketball programs exist because of the college football programs and the TV money they bring in. So they'll figure this out. Now, is it going to be in September? I don't know. Is it going to be with fans? I don't know. 
But you can rest assured, follow the money, they will figure out how to play college football. Um, that, 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 I, that I can promise you. And I, I, I just don't know what it's going to look like, what month it's going to start and all that. I, I just have my hopes. But, you know, I, I raise this possibility. Think about this for a moment. So if you look at the nation right now, the southern states, you know, you would say are better off than specifically the, you know, the, the northeast, you know, New York and Connecticut sure. and New Jersey. Those yeah. are the hotbeds. If, if, this is an if, let's just, let's just, you know, suspend reality for a moment and say, okay, every single option's on the table, which it probably is. If, if things are under control pretty well here in the Southeast, if the SEC just said, hey, you know what, things are under control, you know, everyone, all the medical people say it's safe here, we're just going to play an SEC schedule. We got 14 teams, we'll figure it out, and we'll crown an SEC champion. We understand there's going to be no national championship, but we'll crown an SEC champion. I think as many people are, are allowed to go to those games would still go. I think CBS would still show it, get massive ratings. And even though it would be quote-unquote exhibition, I think it would look like football normally looks in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I agree with those, those things. Um, I generally agree with you on, on all points. I'm not 100% sold that we're playing in September. I think we play a full 12 game schedule. Maybe a few of the bowl games are a casualty, but not the ones that are significant and and that's not a knock on the game in Montgomery or the game in Mobile or you know New Mexico or or whatever. I just think it's kind of the reality. Um I mean I think we're still crowning a national champion. I'm just not sure that it's going to start the first week in September. I mean maybe it's mid-September or maybe it's the first week in October. I don't know that it gets all the way to the spring the way some things uh, or some have talked about that. Yeah, you, what you were saying, though, spurred a topic. And this wasn't really the direction I intended to go with you today, but that's okay. So <laughs> tit- Title IX yeah. is so important in college athletics. I, I, I will not be one to belittle the importance of it because of the opportunities that it provides for female student-athletes and all the other things that it does. Here's the issue that I have with Title IX. And and it's it's been brought to the forefront during this crisis because of the emphasis on the revenue associated with football. Why can't we make things simpler by taking football out of the Title IX equation and say, look, football pays the bills for everybody and for everything. And so we're going to pull that out and say football gets to stand by itself because of what it provides. And then we're just going to go one-to-one scholarship opportunities across the board for everything else. Baseball gets matched up with softball, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's golf, men's and women's tennis. You know, if you want to have a men's soccer program and you don't have a women's soccer program, then you've got to have another sport that offers the same. What? Why can't that work? Yeah, I don't disagree with that line of thinking. My guess to the answer would be to fear that at that point, the college football player at Alabama or Ole Miss or Auburn or Tennessee says, oh, so my play is the thing that's funding this whole thing. While that is 100% true, it would be the NCAA then or the government, I guess. I don't know. I don't know who would be saying this. But it would be somebody out and out saying it and making policy based on it. And I think the next natural step would be then – Okay, if if I'm that important to the school, then let's talk about what I'm getting paid in addition to the scholarship. And I just don't think – now, I've always been a proponent of 
the name, likeness, and image, allowing players mm-hmm. to capitalize off their images and their names. I've, I've always been for that. I think it's the it's not it's not 100% clean, but I think this is going to happen at some point. I think it's the easiest way for colleges to do this. Um, but I think if, if you did what you're talking about, I think at some point you've got to have the discussion into the NCAA that you know the college football player, if they are the ones that are funding everything, and we're admitting that, they are probably entitled to some sort of compensation that maybe the remainder of the sports aren't entitled to. Yeah. Which maybe makes it a far-fetched idea that never gets anywhere beyond just you and me chatting about it on the radio. It's not the worst fault, though. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that, that whole thing's a mess. I mean, anything really the NCAA tries to step in along those lines opens up like 10 more cans of worms for them. Sure. And they're going to have to deal with all of them at some point. I mean, to, listen, I think this whole deal we're in right now, I mean, you've already got sports being cut. Those sports are going to be cut anyway. That was athletic departments looking for cover to cut a sport, right? Sure. But, I mean, Cincinnati was looking for a reason to drop men's yeah. soccer. Yeah, I mean, and they were given you know, a reason they never could have envisioned, but they were given one, right? Um, sure. So men's soccer at Cincinnati was on, you know, it was, it was on death's doorstep anyway. So, I mean, I think this is only going to lead to more of that, though. I mean, sporting opportunities will shrink at colleges. It, <laughs> even if we play football, even if it kicks in September just like it's supposed to with all the TV, revenues are going to be down. I don't know that you know, ticket sales are going to be the same. I don't know that advertising is going to be the same. There are a lot of companies that are going to have to dig out of this. So, you know, I think it's going to be a tough year revenue-wise. And let me tell you one more thing that's going to affect you. We discussed this on our show today. Coaches firings. At some schools, Richard, it's going to be tough to go to those boosters and say, hey, look, I know sure. you've had a lean business year and the stock market has been way up and down, but uh, I need a few million to fire this football coach. I mean, that's, that's going to be a tough conversation to have for a lot of athletics directors. Hey, do you need to run, or have you got time to hang through no, a short break and talk a little I'm bit good. more? Cool. You know, as Let's, it turns uh, out, I don't a have a whole lot. I don't, yeah, I don't have a whole lot going on right now, as it turns out. We're just hanging out. It's funny how that works. Ryan Brown, more of this conversation when we continue after a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. Nothing like a little Jimmy Buffett carrying you into the weekend. We continue our chat with Ryan Brown from jocks in birmingham on the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team mississippi farm bureau let's talk a little bit more about what you were saying a second ago schools may be a little more reticent to pull the trigger on coaches we were talking about we did a little over under earlier this week whether three was the number uh of coaches that will be fired in the sec this year and the three most likely candidates are Derek Mason, Will Muschamp, and then Gus, but really Gus because he's on that list every year and things just yeah. always seem volatile. Um, does that give pause to places like Auburn and South Carolina and maybe Vanderbilt, but particularly Auburn and South Carolina if they want to make a change but are kind of on the fence? Well, let, let me address Malzahn first. I think he, and I understand what you're saying there, and you're not wrong, but I do think he's probably about a safe going into this season as he's been in quite a while. So um, basically going back to when, you know, he got the contract extension, so I guess just a couple of years. But anyway, he, I thought, you know, he finished last season with a win in the in the Iron Bowl. They didn't perform well in the bowl game. Um, but I, I think Gus Malzahn's okay, especially when you look at the schedule this year. I, I think it would be hard to envision in a normal season him having the record that would get him fired. But, if they know, go 7-5? and five? If they go seven and five now, yeah. But I think if you look at that schedule, boy, he's they are they've 
he'd probably, well, <laughs> I was about to say probably deserves to be fired if he goes 7-5, but it's probably true. I think, you know, you look at what they had schedule-wise last year in their performance, and I know they lose specifically some terrific defensive linemen to the NFL, but um, but still, I, I just look at that schedule and think it would be hard to find 7-5 and five with what he's got. Um, but yeah, well, okay, like oh, but let's play that out, though. I mean, that that okay. means losing to North Carolina in Week Two, which most people would right. not predict. But so well, that would be cool. the frustrating Sam one. Sam Howell's a good quarterback. I mean, that's a, yeah. they've got a good quarterback. In them, yeah. So, so that's losses to North Carolina, Georgia, A and M, LSU, and Alabama. That's not the craziest thing ever. It's not. No, that's not crazy, and that probably gets him fired. You're probably right. It's seven and five there. I think the. You know, the Georgia thing would continue an issue he's had beating Georgia consistently. Um, you know, you never want to lose the Iron Bowl, but he's actually fared well in that over the past few yeah, years. You're right. Um, you know, yeah, the A&M loss would get him. And, and LSU, I mean, gosh, they could have easily won that game this year. Um, so, anyway, when you look at South Carolina, you know, there were talks that the, the athletic director, Ray Tanner, was already answering questions this offseason about, the buyout Will Muschamp has. And he said it was reported incorrectly, but, you know, the reports were somewhere in the upper teens of millions of dollars for a buyout. Mm. And that's in the best of financial times that that was already being discussed. So if there's any slip in any sort of revenues, donations, I mean, if you're an athletics director and you look at the landscape and say, you know, you know, donations were a little bit down this year and it is an uncertain future ahead, what if, you know... All these athletics directors are going to play the what-if game now, too, Richard. Well, what if there is another pandemic? I mean, what if something like this happens again and our, our funds start to dry up again? I think this will force a lot of colleges to really concentrate on cash on hand. And it's hard for athletics programs outside the SEC to do this. But, I mean, if you're in Alabama or, or in Auburn, you really can say, okay, what's my rainy day fund need to be now? How many tens of millions of dollars do I need to have set aside if I can do it? For something like this happening again, do I need to be spending money on a seven and five coach going away, or is it better to go in the bank and, and hold it just in case something like this happens again? I think this will force schools to ask questions they've never had to ask before. I, mean, I don't. Nobody could have envisioned this happening. So why would you have prepared for it? Yeah. Ryan Brown is co-host of the Jocks Roundtable on WJOX in Birmingham. Uh, talking college football primarily, but uh, may bounce around a, with a couple of other things uh, in the few minutes that we've got left. Um, yeah, what, why is why is Justin Herbert all of a sudden sexier than Tua Tagovailoa? Because he doesn't have the injuries Tua has. I think it's the only answer you could say. I mean, I think so. It's that Tua, simple. I think so. Answer this for me. I mean, what's your opinion on this? Because we've discussed this on. Let's just, let's just, and you have to, you know, you have to suspend reality again, like you're going to a movie here. But let's assume Tua Tagovailoa never had an injury. Let's just assume he never had an injury and he played full, you know, whatever. Maybe he won a, a championship. I don't know, but he never had an injury. Do you think he'd be number one? Do you think he'd go in front of Joe Burrow to Cincinnati? Yes, I do. I do. Like, like, so, without question. Yeah, I mean, I think he would because he's a better quarterback. I mean, Joe Burrow's a terrific had a terrific year, but I look at Tua, I look at Joe Burrow, and I say, okay, there's a couple of years I got to figure out what happened. I look at Tua, and I'm like, I don't have to figure that out. He was dynamite from day one. He looked like an NFL quarterback. The only thing I got to worry about with him's injury. And I and I look at Justin Herbert, and he's easily the third best quarterback of that group. 
and he doesn't have the injury. So I've got to assume it's only injuries that are causing people to, and, and my favorite team, the Miami Dolphins, are apparently in that group that are having mm-hmm. to ask the question, is Justin Herbert the way to go here instead of Tua? Though there are a lot of people, Richard, that think you got to be picking number three to get Tua now anyway, that either Detroit will take him or they'll convince everybody in the league they're taking him so they can trade that pick away. Yeah. I think that's a, the the questions that Miami and other teams are asking are reasonable questions to be answering, uh, or reasonable questions to be asking. I would say with the Tua versus Burrow comparison, you you said just definitively Tua is a better quarterback. I might argue that he was just farther along in the maturation process sooner. I think we saw Joe Burrow that. grow into what he was capable of. He just it took him a little while longer to get there. And I don't think it's as simple as Joe Brady. I don't think it's, I mean, I think now that's a big part of it. But I don't think it's a piece of it, yeah. Yeah, it's a piece of it. But I don't think it's as simple as just saying, oh, it was Joe Brady. That was the difference. That was a huge difference. I don't think it was the difference. You talk to people, and I know you've done this. You talk to people around that program, and they tell you, and I've heard this from numerous people, that Joe Burrow approached this past season like he was an NFL player. Now, he was able to do that, prim- you know, for one reason, he was taking online classes, I believe, the whole time because he was, you know, basically a graduate. But everything he did, he, he operated like a pro quarterback. So he's got, you know, some intangibles that I think will make him very good. But Joe Brady played a huge part in that. And I always ask the question, if you, if you believe it's that much Joe Brady, why are you drafting Joe Burrow and not hiring Joe Brady? And Carolina did that. They hired Joe Brady. So I think it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens to him and see if Burrow can – I mean, look, he's not con- con- going to continue to play yet. Last year was one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen in college football. You're not going to do that in the NFL. But I do think he's a fascinating study. It, it, you know, was that one year more of an outlier, or is it more the Joe Burrow you're going to get in Cincinnati? Yeah, certainly the competition level goes up. Uh, oh yeah, as he as he makes the transition this year. Hey, final thing, we, we, we've spent more time talking about golf in the last couple of weeks, just because golf has kind of generated news. Uh, looks yeah. like they're going to probably be the first professional sports league in the United States that comes back, albeit without fans. Is the schedule that they've laid out overly ambitious, or do you think it starts kind of the way they've laid it out, but then there's some hiccups along the way? Like, like I'm having a really hard time envisioning the PGA Championship, even without fans, in San Francisco in August. I love the idea. I'm just not sure that yeah. California is going to be ready for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there the a lot of mayors out there, and then Governor Gavin Newsom, they've probably been the most um well i don't know how to describe it honestly the most out there in in their predictions and comments yeah well i mean they're welcome you know, to every day in california <laughs> i mean i don't think yeah i don't think it's out there for them i think it's out there for us um but yeah that, that is probably overly optimistic the one that jumped out at me the most was the Ryder cup and the u.s cup in back-to-back weeks um that is a lot to ask the Verda coopers to play a major and the way that kind of wears on you and then turn around and play the Ryder Cup. And I know these, you know, look, they're going to have to make some sacrifices, but that's what jumped out most at me. And I would say this, Richard, I think if you can't, if we're in a situation where fans can't attend the Ryder Cup, I think they need to postpone it. That event is too good with fans to not have agree. fans at that event. That's uh, You could do the rest of that event without fans, and I'll be like, uh, uh, it's not great, but it's okay. The Ryder Cup is the one that I, I think you need to have fans at. Do you push just the rotation back a year? 
with the president? Well, yeah, if you just push everything back one year. Yeah, I don't think the PGA of America would like that with the President's Cup. But if you'll go back and remember, uh, the Ryder Cup is on even years now because of September 11th. You know, they didn't they didn't host it in 2001 because of September 11th. It was supposed to be you know that September. So um, that that's the only reason. It, it's on even years now. It used to actually be on the odd years. So it would kind of go back to, I don't guess that really matters, but it kind of go back to its original roots if you moved it. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays. I, I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited about Augusta in November. It'll be interesting. Um, I'm hopeful that it is going head to head with college football in the NFL. And I've got to make some decisions. I'm willing to make those decisions if that's the case. No question. No question. <laughs> Ryan, always appreciate your time. I know we held you longer than uh, we had originally asked for, and uh, good to visit with you. Anything for you boys. Y'all take care of yourself. We'll do it again soon. Talk to you soon. That's Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. He is co-host of the Jocks Roundtable, mornings from 6 until 10 in Birmingham and on the uh, Jocks app. Take a quick time out. Ryan joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. A little over, a little less than an hour and a half left with uh, you. We're glad to uh, glad to have you along today. Borky, walk me through this Ohio State econ professor story about the value of blue chip football recruits. Yeah, going to try to take as much math out of it as possible. Basically, an okay. economics professor at Ohio State wanted to figure out exactly how valuable college football players actually are. You have the debate all the time of you know whether or not they should be allowed to make money off their name, image, and likeness. So this professor did an extensive study uh, about exactly how valuable they are using math to prove his argument. So he looked at uh, their star ranking and what each individual player brings to the table to his team as far as win per player. So he found a, I think it's .447, each five-star player uh, is accounted for in a win. So he looked at their football revenue and the caliber of player that they were, calculated the win probability based on your recruiting ranking, and found a number. And that number... For five-star recruits on a team that plays all the way up to the national championship game is worth about 650000 per player. A five-star recruit that plays anywhere in a 12-game season is worth about $200,000 per player. And of course, like in any math equation, there's variables. A starter is worth more than a guy that sits the bench regardless of star ranking. But generally speaking, based on revenue, wins, in star ranking, five-star players are worth about $200,000 a year to the football team. Four stars are worth about $90,000 a year to the football team. So he calculated their value based on revenue and performance on the field. Kind of punches some holes in the stars don't matter argument. There, Although I feel like that argument has kind of been debunked. It's not an argument. It's not a real argument. Not anymore. anymore. No. Not anymore. 
Hold on, I'm almost done with what Borky carry the two. Okay, yeah, I see it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you'll still uh, have people on this draft day, though. I mean, well, uh, half the first round was uh, a three star or below, and yeah, that's because out of four thousand or so recruits, twenty of them are five stars. So yeah, well, and it's and a then the other half middle thing. A lot of kids develop at twenty as opposed to sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. The other thing is there's only thirty. There's only 35 stars, and they'll probably have 10 first-round picks out of that. So, I mean, a much higher percentage, which is how it should be. And obviously, out of those 35 stars, not every one pans out. So you're really talking right. about, like, 20 for 10 spots? It's but about a 50-50 hit rate for five I, stars, about a I, 20% I a, hit rate for four stars. I got into a message board debate with somebody a few years back about this, and That's I did healthy. a little bit of the research. But that was riveting. It was fantastic. It took up my whole afternoon. And... I did, but I did the research, and I mean, if you go back and look at five-star classes, by and large, they're hitting a lot. And the ones that don't hit most of the time, it's injury. It's not that they just busted out; they just they just broke a broke a leg and never came back from it, or something like that. I well, hope you stuck it to Bell Dog. He never knew what hit him, Rippy. Jeez. Um. Speaking but hey, of, that's right. Like, like go ahead. Ruby. I mean, the the I was just saying the math here. Like, obviously, five star, four star, all that stuff matters, and the math on this seems to make sense. Uh, I appreciate keeping most of it out there, Borky. Though, yeah, I mean, I've read the study, and I mean, even reading the study is difficult. I could not imagine trying to relay the win probability per player and all that algorithm stuff on the radio. But basically, what he found is. College football players have a lot of value that extends further than a scholarship for most of them. Breaking news, more at 11. Yeah. Hey, Dan, I was going to... Go ahead. I said just looking at the... I keep trying to transition away, and you keep wanting to talk about it, so I'm great. Well, it's it's an interesting topic to me. No, looking at the uh, Looking at the five-star kids from 2017, which would be a lot of your juniors that that are coming out, I mean, the ones that are coming out right now, Chase Young is number four. Uh, Cam Akers is number seven. He'll get picked. Najee Harris is going back to school, but he'll get picked when he goes. Caleb on Chase will probably be a first pick. Jeff Okuda will be a top five pick. Uh, looking, trying to see the rest of these guys here. I mean, Tua, Tago, Tua is number 22. He's going to get picked high. Henry Ruggs is 24. Uh, Devontae Smith went back to school, but he'll get picked high when the time comes. Marvin Wilson's in school. He'll get picked high when the time comes. Dylan Moses, same thing. The, the the five stars hit. I mean, when they don't, it's a guy like Walker Little who was the first who was the first uh, number one player in the class who's just suffered through injuries throughout his college career. He, he would be in the he would be a top five Where pick probably. Stanford. Stanford. His brother actually uh, went to school here. I know him. What position? Lineman. Offensive tackle. Stanford signed two five star offensive tackles that year. Number one and number That's two right. by position. Ole Miss recruited Walker Little heavily. Yeah. yeah. I think it's kind of hard to compete with Stanford with certain kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is the class right after all the NCAA stuff breaks, so I mean, it's going to be difficult to you know get those guys. Yeah. Is there any correlation at all, and I'm probably just saying something dumb, but I don't really care. I'm going to say it anyway. It hasn't stopped me before. The elite <laughs> basketball prospects are now getting around 500K, it appears, give or take a a few thousand dollars to go to that G League program. Like, that seems like a similar 
evaluation. Yeah. But that's probably a little different because that's trying to entice them from going overseas. But that can't be a complete accident. Well, Will Wade sir, said they're worth league minimum, so. Strong. That's a lot of money. Is that G League minimum or? I think he was talking I, the, league minimum. Yeah, yeah as I, I say, I, G I League minimum is not 500K. Speaking of that, in the story we talked about yesterday, um, there was an announcement earlier that the NBA's having a pay cut across the board. Um, 25% for each player's paycheck starting on May 15th. What if you're an NBA player right now, and the day after it gets announced that they're about to throw millions of dollars at a bunch of high school kids, you have to take a 25% pay cut? Like, wait, me, the guy that's actually in the league that is currently valuable to you has to take a pay cut and you're going to throw millions of dollars at a 17-year-old? Explain well, that to not, me. They're not throwing millions of dollars at a 17-year-old. It's one kid that they're talking about right now. They're going to form a team. This is just the beginning. I, I understand that, but the composition of that team is going to be a mixture of veterans and guys with experience and a handful of these guys. So, I mean... If you're talking about, let's say, eight players, which is probably high, six players at half a million bucks apiece, you're talking about $3 million in investing in the future of the league. I, I mean, that's seems to be a bit of a canary in the coal mine if you're looking to – like you're looking for a reason to be angry about the fact that your salary's been cut beyond the fact that there's a global pandemic. And – being mad at a global pandemic is just kind of like yelling at the clouds. I mean, we're all mad at it, and it means absolutely nothing. And so you say, instead, we're going to be mad at these kids that are going to get an opportunity in the G League. I, I just don't think that quite adds up. And the NBA players are, generally speaking, in a much better financial position than other professional athletes anyway, certainly than NFL players, because their contracts are guaranteed. Right? Yeah, that and they're bigger. I mean, Solomon Hill's making $20 million. You yeah, got more Pablo, guys making ridiculous money in the NBA than in any other sports league. Well, you've seen in the last two years that salary cap explosion and the TV money and all that, but Pablo Torre wrote that piece for ESPN the magazine a couple years ago on Tyler Johnson, the $50 million man. Do any of you know who, know who Tyler Johnson is? No, I do not. Well, he signed a four-year, $60 million contract with the Heat two summers ago. Well, and that's kind of the, the whole premise of the article. Yeah. It's going to be hard for the NBA to walk it back, the, these contracts that are out there. But without the China money, are they going to be able to continue to uphold these deals? They don't have a choice. Like you said, I mean, it's guaranteed. The only way that they cannot pay them this amount of money is to not have games. I mean, that's the only way they're getting away with it right now. And if the season gets canceled, then there's a clause to where their their salaries aren't paid. But these are like you said, fully guaranteed contracts until they're over. Can't get out of it. Hmm. Some interesting details in the uh, story about the NBA contract, but. Again, Borky gave you the headline. NBA and the NBAPA have agreed to a plan to withhold 25% of each player's check beginning May 15th 
and there are actually some triggers that could allow that money to go back to the players if certain things happen. Which is a perfect example of when people say you're not pulling these players away from their families just to play a game. This is why they absolutely would do that. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. The year was 2003, so 17 years yesterday. Michael Jordan played his final NBA game. He scored 15 points in a 20-point loss that the Washington Wizards had to the Philadelphia 76ers. It was a bit of an inglorious conclusion to maybe the most decorated, one of the most decorated careers of any NBA player in history. The debate about whether or not he's the greatest of all time, eh, well, whatever. Somebody, you can have that debate with somebody else. On Sunday night at 8 o'clock, episode one of The Last Dance. I have already hit record on my DVR so that if I happen to miss it, I'll be able to go back and watch. How excited are you about the ESPN documentary about Jordan and the Bulls. I'm definitely going to watch. I'll definitely tune in. You know, such an interesting uh, time in sports, you know, especially I, I want to know how much they're going to cover. I guess they won't cover much of it, but uh, of his time away from basketball and baseball, but I don't know. I, I Those Bulls think- teams were – go ahead. I was just saying, I think it's mostly on that last year. The whole premise yeah, of this is. thing, that's, right, that's is my, they had my... a bunch of in, like a bunch of footage, like in, like footage from that year that really had never been seen by the general public. Because I just, I just wanted to come right. out and say that he got suspended for gambling. That's that's, that's all I want, but it never happened. Uh, <laughs> just, not gonna just happen. A, in passing in the locker room one day. Just, just, by the way, guys, yeah, but no, it, it should be very very exciting to uh, to watch. You know that that was an incredible uh, time in the NBA, and uh, I was you know. That's when I was maybe my peak NBA viewership years, uh, so I'll be I'll be interested to watch. Are you are y'all happy, excited, frustrated that you're getting one of these a week for ten weeks? Isn't that what it is? Going to be on like coming out on Sundays for the next little bit? Did, did I see where it's going to be on Netflix though? They're not putting the whole thing out there. It's just it's just one at a time. So the whole thing's on Netflix. I think that's I think I saw that. I don't know. I mean, I do know that it's going to be on Netflix. And did you also see that ESPN is going to carry an unedited version and ESPN2 is going to carry more of a kid-friendly version? Definitely watch the unedited. <laughs> and somewhere he's worried that he's people are going to think he's uh, a word I can't repeat on radio, a jerk. Um after watching the documentary. And I saw a lot of people's response to that was, wait, we already knew that he was a bad guy. And I kept wondering, what are they going to show that we don't already know? I mean, we know the stories about him going into his opponent's locker room with a cigar pregame and saying, who's guarding me tonight? And then the guy like raises his hand and he laughs at him and then leaves the locker room. Like We know these kind of stories about what a super competitor he was and in the edge and the nasty that that he had is there 
So what are we going to learn about him, or is he just like overthinking it? Because, I mean, we all know those stories about him. The edge that he had at practice. I mean, he berated his teammates in practice because, in his own words, I had to know that they were ready for Game 6 of the NBA Finals. So if they can't handle me in practice, how are they going to handle the Finals? So he was an intentionally I mean, mean to his teammates at times. We all knew that already. So what are we going to learn here? I think when you actually probably see the day-to-day of it, like on footage, like the ruthless nature of it probably wouldn't. I'm just guessing it probably wouldn't translate well to what's acceptable today. Like it would remind me of, uh, you remember that time we had the whole debate because Tom Izzo yelled at that kid really bad? Yeah. Yeah. Like that neighborhood of stuff, which uh, to some degree is probably true. Like there are probably going to be people on from everything I've read, uncomfortable with some of the, like, I guess, methods. But you, if you didn't know, like, breaking news, Michael Jordan was ruthless. Like, at, well, but, and that's why he was a six-time yeah, NBA can't, champion. Can't, can't I, help I was going to say, if you read anything the about the guy, you probably knew that. Yeah, I mean, the most successful people in life, generally speaking, there are a few exceptions. But the most successful CEOs of Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 companies the greatest athletes of all time, pick your sport. The most successful football coaches. Generally speaking, a big part of their persona is that they're a jerk. Like a huge jerk. Maybe not 100% of the time. Maybe there's a softer side of to, the, uh, to them that exists when they're around their family or they're at home or they're on vacation. But their focus is only on one thing, and it's winning. And they don't really care who they step on, and they don't really care who they offend, and they don't really care how they are perceived. It's just about winning. Winning in business, winning in life, winning in sports, winning games. It's just about winning. And there aren't many people that are that driven all of the time. Some of them soften as they get older as well. But in that prime window, not not great people, but wildly successful. But it's July. Guys, I don't know if you've seen these numbers from the National Weather Service. The confirmed tornado count from the April 12th and 13th outbreak now stands at 131. There were two EF4s, 12 EF3s, 21 twos, 69 EF1s, 27 that registered as EF0, 28 tornadoes in Georgia, 24 in Alabama, 21 in South Carolina, 16 in North Carolina, 15 in Mississippi. And those 131 tornadoes covered a combined length in terms of how far they traveled on the ground of 903 miles. But listen to the top three in that group of storms. EF4, the tornado that went Jefferson Davis County to Clark County, 68 miles on the ground. The tornado that went from Walthall to Jefferson Davis County started out just southwest of Salem and 
ended up southwest of Bassfield, 21 and a quarter miles that it stayed on the ground. And then how about this one? The tornado that started in Lawrence County and went all the way to Jasper County, 84 miles as an EF3 tornado. Gosh. And you remember one of those storms that we were talking about, the measurements came back 2.3 miles wide, which makes it one of the widest tornadoes in United States history and the widest ever in the state of Mississippi. Absolutely remarkable. It's hard to fathom. I've been telling you, the, the guys on the the Weather Channel, the National Weather Channel, were distraught trying to describe the back-to-back ones that went through the Pine Belt. They, they were openly talking about, we've never seen anything to this scale on the same path like this before. I mean, yeah. decades of weather-watching experience on the National Weather Channel, and they couldn't describe what they were watching. And, Morky, you mentioned it uh, yesterday. The southeast is expected to deal with severe weather on Sunday, again, uh, this weekend. Sunday and Sunday night expected to be the most active period of the event. Um, all the usual suspects are, are threats, damaging winds from thunderstorms, tornadoes, hail, and heavy rainfall, all possibilities uh, on Sunday uh as you get into kind of the threat scenario, looks like South Mississippi is in the likely threat area. And then the farther north you go, you get into possible and less likely. Um, mm. Be really good to uh, say a prayer for a change in that weather pattern for the, uh, for this weekend. Cause a lot of those same areas, not just in Mississippi, but going into Alabama and, uh, Georgia and all the way to the southern part of South Carolina are the areas that are projected to have uh, some severe weather again this weekend, uh, potentially severe weather this weekend. So certainly be weather aware, and uh, as was the case last weekend, we certainly uh, will keep you up to date with anything that's going on, and we want to keep you safe uh, in the state of Mississippi, and we'll do uh, whatever we've got to do to make sure that you are aware. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day, from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspire.com. Cares. It's time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to Buy Ford now and check out the best selling trucks in America the F 150. 43 consecutive years is the best-selling truck in America. You can test drive one just as soon as it's safe. Four dealerships are still open. You can test drive one today. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. Um, Baylor 
has an upcoming hearing with the NCAA Committee on Infractions, but it has been put on hold thanks to coronavirus. Baylor Athletic Director Mac Rhodes, speaking to the Dallas Morning News, confirmed that his school is among those impacted by a pause in the NCAA enforcement process. The organization announced the Committee on Infractions would put on hold its meetings until at least May 31st. Mac Rhodes says, I think everyone wants to know at this point in time. I can honestly say it's something I can't answer because I don't have the answer. We're waiting for whenever that time is, and we'll be prepared to do what we need to do when that time comes. These are the allegations that stem in large part from the scandal surrounding Art Bryles and his time in Waco. The school was cited over two years ago for lack of institutional control. They had hoped to know their fate prior to the 2020 season. Could this have any effect on Baylor in the season opener against Ole Miss? I mean, it feels like their team is what their team is going to be for this coming year. They may not be a team that's eligible for the postseason this year or next year or who knows. Um, so if they do get a postseason ban, it's stuff tied to Art Bryles, right? Sure. At that point, it's Who is like- it punishing? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about two coaches ago. Or three, is it? I don't even know. I'm sure they had an interim, right? Uh, yes, they had uh, an interim. They had uh, the guy that used to be at Wake Forest, Jim Grobe, as Jim the Grobe, interim. Okay. Yeah. So every player on that team is going to be punished because they're the ones that get punished the most. I know the school is going to lose some money, and although the athletic director that was involved is also gone, so... It, none of a penalty being this late makes any sense, but 85 scholarship players on that football team are going to play a season, presumably make a bowl game. They should be good enough to do it. But instead, oh, be- yeah. because of something that none of their teammates did, none of their coaches did, and none of their athletic department officials did, they're going to get punished. Explain to me what's right about that. Or just about that. See, we can have a nice, level-headed, balanced conversation about this when you don't have one of the schools in the state of Mississippi involved. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's 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 just this is the way the NCAA does business. They're slow to act, and by the time they're ready to punish people, the people who need it to be punished aren't being punished. I guess at the end, you know, and, and it's one thing like, and, and I don't want to go too far down the road with this, but with Ole Miss, right? Maybe you're punishing the boosters because they're fans of the team, and you're, if you punish the team and make the team bad, then those people maybe they learn a lesson. I don't know, but for this, you know, boosters didn't even have anything to do with this. This was completely the school, but all the guilty parties are gone. So it's almost like you, you know, a, a business moved out, a new business moves in, but you were in the same building, so we have to punish you. So do you think Baylor should not receive punishment? I don't know how I don't know what they should receive. I, I mean I, I totally I don't know that I totally believe that the NCAA needs to be punishing schools for stuff that the legal world should be punishing schools for. You know? If we find out that, that they yeah, were covering Baylor up, didn't really do enough to stop it. No, I agree with that, but so that that's my point though, is it that just let let you know how how I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. If you find out that Baylor was covering up crimes, people should go to jail. They shouldn't lose scholarships. 
Oh, I I don't disagree with that, but I don't know yeah. that it's either or. It's maybe I, I, I don't I don't know how you punish when you have a whole new leadership structure and a whole new set of players. You know, hey, I know you guys weren't here when this happened, but sorry. Yeah, but I mean, if I you want to make it more local, say, hey, Dad. yeah, no, yeah, and, and I don't disagree with. I, I know Richard saying. knows what I'm trying to say too. He just we're trying to to figure because there is going to be punishment. So the wrong governing body is doing the punishing here. I agree with that. Yeah, the state of Texas needs to be the ones involved in this investigation, not the NCAA. Interestingly enough, the NCAA probably should be the one involved in the basketball fraud investigation. Yes, yes, and not the FBI. And not the FBI. <laughs> well, there is uh, somebody that was involved that is still working in athletics and drawing a paycheck from a certain university in Virginia. Maybe you can start by punishing that person as well. Why is it limited to coaches and Wait, teams? he wasn't involved with Baylor. No, not Hugh Freeze. His athletic director was at Baylor when this happened. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's Liberty for quite, you. Quite the but, group there at Liberty. But why is it only limited to coaches? This guy was overseeing the department that did this. Why is he allowed to draw a seven-figure paycheck? Need a show cause for an athletics director? Why not? Sports Talk Mississippi special guest joining us next, Henry Hamill from Mississippi Farm Bureau. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. You can watch online at supertalktv.com and uh, certainly follow the Periscope stream that is available to you via Twitter as well. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sounds a little weird saying this now. Joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, is the president of Mississippi Farm Bureau, Henry Hamill. He joins us uh, right now. Henry, Henry, uh, appreciate a few minutes of your time. We were chatting earlier today, and uh, I think like all of us, you would much prefer right now to uh, be watching some college baseball and manning the grill and, uh, and cheering on our teams here in the state of Mississippi. No doubt about it, man. It's it's so crazy. Uh, just think, last week would have been Super Bowl weekend, and we'd have been out on the grill, and the weather was perfect on Saturday, and and, and all, and just uh, miss it bad. I miss all my people, but uh, can't can't wait to start back. Yeah, it would have been you and about what fourteen thousand or so of your uh, of your closest friends at the uh, at the ballpark. Um, I, I'd love for you to explain a little bit to me about what's going on in terms of Farm Bureau right now. So we're all dealing with and have been dealing with the tragedy of of COVID-19 and kind of our lives being completely turned upside down. And then on top of that, last Sunday, we get this round of weather uh, and we were kind of looking at some of the storm statistics just a little while ago. I mean, a, a, a combined... 900 miles now that's multiple states on the ground in which these tornadoes uh traveled uh, i don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like that yeah it was bad uh we uh this is really the second largest event we've ever had in our company history and of course katrina being number one and uh you know, I don't think the you know I know I saw in the Clarion Ledger where they had it at a, as a, maybe a twenty million dollar event, and uh, it's way over that. I mean, just for us. So, uh, 
so anyway, it was uh, it was much bigger than a lot of people realized. Uh, two two miles wide on one of them is just unbelievable. The devastation down there is unbelievable, and and, and you know, it's it's been a challenging time. This is a crazy year, and uh, you know we've uh, we've had to try to do what we can to keep our offices open, which I'm, I'm very fortunate that all our offices are open and, and, and open for business. You know, we're we're generally not letting anybody in the lobby of the offices. We're going out to the cars and, and, and doing, you know, transactions that way to try to keep everybody safe. I mean, that's our number one goal is through this whole pandemic is to keep everybody safe. And it gets challenging at times. You know, we're such a relationship company. And so, you know, your 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 customers are, are a lot of your closest friends and things like that. So it's it's been it's been interesting for sure. But uh, we've, we've, I think we've done great. Uh, I'm very happy to report that nobody in our organization uh, in Mississippi has, has been, you know, come down with the virus. So uh, that's that's great. And and so uh, we've we've been able to continue to do business. Just had to had to make changes. And as John Cohen says, you got to figure it out. And we've been figuring it out all year. But uh, as far as this storm goes, uh, it. it it, it posed it posed new challenges for everybody. Uh, you know, so many of the companies are used to uh, being able to bring claims teams in from out of state to work claims and and do it that way and set up shop. You know, in a parking lot and things and and that's just really not an option right now. I don't believe uh, we've been very fortunate. We've got 300 agents and 200 adjusters right here in Mississippi, so we've been able to drive in and out on a daily basis and and start you know, handling those claims and getting those poor people back to uh, some semblance of normalcy uh, as quick as we can. And so we, uh, you know, we've we've been busy. It's been a crazy year. I'll definitely, when I retire, I'll, I'll always remember 2020, that's for sure. Henry, in- insurance is one of those things where, I mean, nobody, like, gets excited and jumps up and down when they have to write the check for an insurance premium or, or they look at their bank statement and they, they see the draft that comes out. But it's something that's obviously necessary for all of us. And I was, I was just going to say on the flip side, from your side of the business, you've got a business to run and you're not jumping up and down and excited when you've got to distribute those checks in, in terms of claims, but, and I'm guessing here, so this is a question, is that the most rewarding part of what you do to, to be able to go to somebody after they have gone through a disastrous moment in their life and say, we can't fix everything, but here's a check. I hope this helps. Absolutely. That, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the one thing that, that we always say in the insurance business. You know, a lot of people, when people die or people have tragedy, people come and they bring hams and potato salad and whatever to help, you know, get, you know, feed them and everything. But, you know, we bring a check. And uh, to me, that just makes a huge difference, you know. And it, it does. It's very, very rewarding, no doubt. Well, where does the, the culture of Mississippi Farm Bureau, where, where does that emanate from? Um, you know, a lot of times with insurance companies, you have to chase them down, and you're, you know, fighting for, you know, whatever you think it is. And I've had the experience before where I very proactively have had um, my Farm Bureau agent reach out to me and say, hey, are you okay? Is there anything we can do? What do we need to do to get a claim going? Where, where does that, that culture come from? You know, it's been built over many, many years. Uh, you know, being a, a one-state operation in the beginning uh, and, and being based here out of Mississippi uh, for all six states that are part of our casualty company and all 11 states that's part of our life company, we, we've, we've instilled that into all our agents uh, when we hire them. Uh, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about. 
And, uh, and and more of it though is it's, it's just that they care. They care about their people. You know, it's their neighbors. It's 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 their all their friends and family. And you know, we're we're a real state, so you you know you pretty well know a lot of the people uh, when you write them. And uh, it's it's a special thing. It really is. Uh, we got a great group, and uh, they'll uh, you know they'll bend over backwards to help you. Whether it be the Henry Hamill is. Uh... Yeah, there's no question about that. Henry Hamill is the president of Mississippi Farm Bureau. He's on your radio right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Um, Henry, I want to let you explain this so that I don't mess it up. You, you guys announced on uh, on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, that all of the members of Farm Bureau who have auto policies have a credit coming in the next couple of months, and the total credit is in the neighborhood of $30 million. Did I get that right? That's correct. Uh, we, uh, we were already trying to figure out, you know, what we could do to help our people. You know, so many people have lost jobs and, and different things have been laid off temporarily. And, and you know, and we, we were at one time uh, in Mississippi seeing a, a reduction in claims. Of course, you know, with that tornado last week, that kind of changed everything on that. But still, yeah. we were looking for ways to uh, to give back, and 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 we made the decision, regardless of that tornado or not, we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to help and give back to our customers. And and based on a six state uh, platform, you know, it's a it's a fifteen percent reduction uh, in their premiums for a couple months. Uh, which uh, is, it adds up to a lot, a lot of money uh, over over that time. Uh, but we we did something in addition to that too. You know, we're giving actually giving five hundred thousand dollars to the Mississippi Food Network uh, here in Mississippi, and all the six states are giving uh, that amount or that amount close to that amount to uh, to different uh, food banks and things because it's not only just our customers; it's the, it's the people in Mississippi that are suffering and. And, you know, like, like I said, a lot of people lost jobs. They may be having a hard time feeding the family. And so, you know, we're blessed to have, you know, have that ability to be able to do that and to, to give back. And so we thought it was also the right thing to do. And Mississippi Food Network distributes it to all the different food banks in all 82 counties. Uh, some of those counties are serviced out of, of actually out of the food bank kind of mobile, and some in the North Mississippi are, are serviced out of Memphis. But we're having money distributed to those uh, from them to uh, to make sure that all 82 counties are covered. And and we're we're really you know just happy to be able to do our part. But um, but you know we we've got a special thing in Mississippi, and we just want to continue to to do everything we can to help people. Well, it's an incredible gesture—a half million dollar donation to the Mississippi Food Network uh, from uh, Mississippi Farm Bureau, uh, and certainly and that's an issue that that I mean we talked a second ago about coronavirus, and then you get the storms on top of it, and that's kind of affected food banks and how they're dealing people are dealing with the economic uncertainty that has gone along with kind of shutting everything down for the last month and then you get the storms in south mississippi and east central mississippi on top of that the the food banks have really been hit hard you're exactly right and that's that's something that that uh the presidents of the six states uh, really recognized and wanted to make sure that we you know, did something to to give back and help during this time. And we we just hope and pray it's temporary. We don't know what the future holds with all this, and 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 nor does anyone for that matter. And so we we want to do our part while we can and and help uh, where it's needed. And whether it be paying customers that had a claim or whether it's being feeding the people that need food, so that's, that's all we can do. 
Henry, I know we're looking forward to get back to, uh, getting back to the ballparks and stadiums and golf courses and, uh, and know you are uh, as well. So hopefully we can uh, all convene in those spots before too terribly much longer. Uh, you've been a great partner to us and uh, certainly appreciate you jumping on and spending a few minutes with us this afternoon. Richard, we appreciate you and the relationship we have with Super Talk, you know, and them being based out of our building right there in Jackson, you know, we have a special bond, and, and we just uh, we do look forward to seeing everybody walking down the hall and everybody being back in the office and things back to normal. So, anyway, look, look forward to seeing you. You're the best, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's Henry Hamill. He's president of Mississippi Farm Bureau. And uh, if you didn't know that, that, that's right. Super Talk Mississippi. Tell us how uh, media's headquarters in the Farm Bureau building right there on I-55 in, uh, in Jackson as you're rolling through just past the uh, County Line Road exit. It's uh, been a good home for us for a very, very long time. That was Henry Hamill on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to be with you on this Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. COVID-19 is impacting all aspects of the lives of Mississippians. In honor of the 16 Make-A-Wish kids in Mississippi, and to help our heroes on the front lines of this battle, Make-A-Wish staff, volunteers, and Wish families will donate a hand-sewn mask to local health facilities for every $10 donated. It's called the Fund-A-Mask Grant-A-Wish Challenge. To donate and to help grant a wish to a life with a life-threatening disease and to help our healthcare workers get much-needed masks, go to our website, supertalk.fm slash masks, M-A-S-K-S, supertalk.fm slash masks as part of Make-A-Wish Month uh, that we're celebrating here at Supertalk Mississippi. We are glad to be with you this afternoon. So, um, Mr. Haydad. Yes. There was a poll on the Twitters, the Twitters.com. Yeah. Uh, from College Baseball Nation, which when this whole thing began, had about 7,000 followers on Twitter. Right. They now have over almost 13,000 followers. So the whole thing might have been a little self-serving. They did a 68-team bracket, 64-team bracket, of the best college baseball stadiums in America. We got down to the finals, and it was Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Nearly 100,000 votes Did you do the quote in the final. Said the word? Say what? Did you do the quote fingers when you said votes? Votes. Uh, uh, is that is that where this thing is? Is everybody's oh. convinced that? Oh, it's yeah. This was not real. Yeah, this is this is not real. I mean, am I supposed to believe that thirty thousand more people than have ever witnessed a football game in this state voted in a Twitter poll? I'm not going to buy it I don't for know. one second. I for one spent five hundred dollars on a Russian bot farm to rig the election. So, so there you go, Borky. If nothing else, you have you know tampered. So, so we believe that there were bots on both sides? I mean, yeah, I'm going to say that, yes. I, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you know, all of state's votes were bought, but the 40,000 people who voted for Ole Miss was all legit or the other way around. No, I'm not going to go that, that way. C- c- considering it was crazy to watch it. So Mississippi State was leading, I don't know, 54, 46, something like that, right. with about 40,000 votes in. 
And then there were a ton of Ole Miss votes yesterday. And Ole Miss at one point actually took uh, the lead in the voting. I think 52-48. It swung and it back and forth a few times. At like 96,000. Say what? They swung back and forth like that at hours in the morning where people aren't on Twitter. Well, you know. 96,990 votes. And it finishes 55-45 in favor of Mississippi State. I told you 100,000. I didn't know it was going to be you know done automatically, but you know. Thanks, Putin. <laughs> Did Rippy have an involvement in this? You know, the Russians and all. My guess is this did not register very high on Rippy's give-a-darn meter. <laughs> Seems wildly stupid, but good on these guys. They figured out the way to expand your brand is to find a way to people in yeah, the state of Mississippi. The winners in this are College Baseball Nation. That's a good job. You picked up double your Twitter followers almost. Yeah. You know? There were some people that were pouring their heart and soul into this thing, though, man. There was and there was a lot of anger. It was fun. There was a lot of grind dog four twenty and you know super rebel man getting after each other. Rippy, I'm sure it was enthralling. Yeah, oh yeah. What I can't figure out though, like, okay, from the Mississippi State side of things, I mean, there were people all the way up to uh, credentialed media that were just taking this very very seriously and calling it a joke and all that good stuff. Oh, it was um, a joke. Let's be honest about that. Of course, but it, it's a Twitter poll. What I can't figure yeah, out is... The claims of cheating were... were. Uh, I mean, and that's They were the hot thing. and heavy there for a they while. They were fantastic. But that's what blows my mind. Who cares? Like, do you really need this Twitter poll from College Baseball Net or whatever to validate your $70 million state-of-the-art gold standard baseball field? I don't get it. Like, did would losing that poll make you lose sleep at night and think that Duty Noble's not special anymore? I, I don't understand why that poll, like, alters the reality of Mississippi State built a beautiful, the beautiful baseball stadium. Swayze Field's an incredible place to watch a game. It is one of the best venues in college baseball. It's undeniable. Duty Noble will cost $70 million. It's the gold standard. That reality doesn't change based on the results of a poll. So why are you, with a platform getting bothered by the outcome of a poll. Two things that I, I want to say. Uh, I, I, I put one, both of them on Twitter. But I, I would like to see the people who bought Twitter votes, why don't you donate the extra <laughs> table that money? So, 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 you know, why don't you match your donation to some charity that could actually use it instead of buying Twitter poll votes in a college baseball stadium? But I will say, and I, I'll take up for the school I represent here, I guess, great job by Mississippi State on the troll factor. Didn't tweet one time about this poll. I know Ole Miss tweeted a bunch about this poll. State never tweeted one time until the, the poll was over and they won, and then they had some long oh, – this is why Duty Noble is the best. And that's all they said, and I thought it was a great troll job. So you're saying the official Mississippi yeah. State baseball account didn't tweet? Didn't tweet about this poll one time. Okay. Just had it. It's which I was surprised by. I thought they would, you know, embrace, you know, hey, nothing's going on, but they did not. (sighs) Explain to me how this works, by the way. If you want to buy votes in a Twitter poll, I mean, I keep hearing bots and Russian and Putin and whatnot. How exactly does that work? Just Google it. There's websites, and you put your money in, and next thing you know, what you want to happen happens. 
I, I was trolling on Twitter, but that is rooted in reality. There are bot farms in Russia and mm-hmm. China, Japan, uh, all these places that you can buy – uh, Twitter poll votes. You can buy followers on well, social media. Well, I mean, I know media. you can you buy can, followers. Right, I mean, I you get can, that. But how do you buy the vote piece of it? They have the, the, a, a, scripts and stuff. Yeah, they have a network just, of bot accounts that they they wrote a program for that they can program them all at one time to pick one of the selections. So what would that cost you? That I, I didn't do the research on that. Let's let me if you give me a moment. So if y'all can vamp, I can figure it out. Do you have any idea, Borky? Yeah. Um, oh, you so, got it. Okay, never mind. Yeah. There. So here's a, a chart. Now I'm having a hard time pulling it up. So it's about. Hmm. I mean, I'm assuming you buy votes and blocks, right? You, you buy can votes buy and votes, blocks. or a thousand yeah. votes, or a hundred thousand votes, right. or whatever. If you go to buytwitterpollvotes.com. Fast delivery, hundred percent real and safe votes. Pro customer support. How much does it cost? It doesn't say. Pricing. Here we go. You can get 15,000 votes for $495. See, in my 15,000 votes that I paid Vladimir Putin for, I really shifted that for a while, so worth You it. lost, too, Borky. That's the worst. Hey, well, who says I didn't rig it in favor of Mississippi State? I'm a winner We here. know who you voted for. Okay. We, we, let, let's talk strategy here for a second. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I'm serious. Right. $495. Think, uh. think about this. Have you ever participated in a silent auction? Yeah. You know. You think I have money to do uh, that? Well, hold on. There's an (laughs) opening bid, and then there are bid increments in which you can bid the the price up. And a silent auction works because people thrive on, well, I'm in the lead, I'm in the lead, I'm in the lead. That's not how you win in a silent auction. You win in a silent auction by sitting back being and hoping that there's very little action, and then right before the deadline, swooping in and putting a bid in, and it letting be the last bid. Yeah. So the people that spent money buying Twitter votes with 18 hours left in the voting yes. process, you're not the smartest person on the planet. You didn't really think about your strategy. That money and those votes could have been used much better if you had done that with an hour left, I mean, you needed to make sure you had happened? time for that to get processed. Huh? Is there any proof that it happened? Yes. Other than the fact that 100,000 people voted on a college baseball stadium poll between two Mississippi schools? No, there's no proof. I mean, it's circumstantial, but it did shift by the thousands in both directions at, a couple time, of times. Yeah. There were a couple of times where you would blink and it would it'd go four or five percentage points yeah. either way. And if you're... Or you know one of those people that actually spent money on a Twitter poll? Look in the mirror hard for a long time and evaluate the decisions you make in your life. But again, if that was so important to you, maybe you're not smart enough to figure that out in the first place. But if it was that important to you and you were really smart and you realized and understood how the system worked, then you would have waited till there was 60 minutes left or 30 minutes left in the poll, and you sweep in and you make and a 5,000 vote swing and or a 10,000 vote swing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do it at a time where the other side doesn't really have time to respond. That's how you do it. Sports Talk Mississippi. 
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.